Well, uh, welcome to all of you newbies who, who may or may not know me. Um, my name is Bharat Chakravarti. I work with Dr. Lavapur, and I am um, one of the uh, associate uh, uh, directors of your program. So you'll see me a lot, um, and, uh, and I'm always around in the emergency department, but uh, my office is right over here, and uh, Dr. Lavapur and I uh, kind of uh, switch off a little bit for these uh, Monday night meetings. So, um, welcome to all of you guys, the applicants in particular. Um, I've seen a few of you guys already, I think all of you last time or the time before. And, uh, you know, MRAP is, uh, you know what it is. You guys have kind of done your due diligence and your homework, and uh, it's a lot of work. Uh, you certainly put in the time, uh, you're there both clinically. And uh, you're there um, uh, in other aspects. And certainly the returns are great. I think you learn a lot just from being around. You get credit. It's a, usually if you do your work and you show up on time um, and you put in uh, a, a decent amount of effort, you're going to get a good grade. So you're going to get a good grade. Uh, the clinical work is fun. Um, you get to really get a picture and an idea of what medicine is like, especially emergency medicine. Um, you're in the pit almost uh, there, and uh, you get to enroll patients, and you get to be a part of this discovery process, which is actually uh, pretty fun. Um, a lot of you guys are just starting out, and it's all, everything's really brand new to you, which is great, and the enthusiasm of MRAP, I think, is what um, spills over to a lot of people. So. You'll see, um, I don't know how the bonfire went yesterday, but we'll have a recap on that. I wasn't able to be there. Um, but uh, welcome to the applicants. So, so the uh, cords uh, asked me to put together a talk on clinical research and how to develop clinical research. What are the various techniques involved for clinical research? So um, the topic seems quite bland. But all of you guys are doing clinical research and are an integral part of it. And many of you um, have approached me, a few of you have approached me, are actually interested in doing research and have taken a few steps um, before I could even really sit down and mentor you guys on what are the appropriate steps. So uh, this is an effort to kind of backtrack and see if you guys have this yearning, burning question inside of you, how do you go about doing it? Do you just like think of an idea and it just pops in your head and you just go, well, I'm going to implement that idea. I want to see if that works. Well, I had one of these ideas when I was a medical student. And uh, when I was a medical student, I wanted to implement this universal uh, medical record system in which every child that came to any hospital would, you would know whether or not they were vaccinated or not. And you wouldn't have to go through these silly records like this piece of paper that you could pretty much Photoshop anyways and, and submit it. So it would be kind of this universal record. Um, and, and so it was, it, was a, it was an interesting idea but there's a lot of components to that that I, I can like pretty much shoot a million holes in right now, having gone through a lot of um, 
trials and tribulations myself. So, that being said, let's uh, carry on the question. So, the origins of a research question. So, we're actually going to skip the first step and, and go to the next step and try to figure out initially what are the origins of a research question. For all of you guys who are taking notes, I'm actually recording this so that I'm going to make this available for you on an MP4 format that you could watch on iTunes or whatever, however you watch your MP4. Alright, so the origins of a research question. An established investigator. So the best research question emerges from prior research. So one pro project or one question should open up a series of other questions. And that's where usually the best research occurs. And that's not always the way it occurs, but that's what the best research occurs. But many of you, all of you, are not seasoned investigators, right? I'm not even a seasoned investigator. I have some research and I have some ideas that are building upon another idea, but mostly seasoned investigators are those who've been doing it for 10, 15, 20 years. So you guys are new investigators, which is great because you have a fresh perspective. You have new ideas, you have novel concepts, and you can be creative. You can think outside of the box. If you're if you've been doing it for 10 or 15 years, you have a lot of experience, which there's a lot to be said about experience. But coming in with a new approach can really open up new ideas. All right. Mastering the literature. This is the number one most important thing. So if you guys are interested in a project, then you need to read about it. Bottom line, nothing beats reading. You got to read. You got to read, and then when you're done, you got to read a little bit more. Because if you're not reading, you don't know what you're talking about. You're already starting out kind of on kind of the grassroots level, but if you read, you'll, you'll be surprised how quickly you become an expert at something. How real quick you become an expert. So reading is fundamental. All right, scholarship. So read, read, read. Conduct a thorough literature search. Conduct a thorough literature search. So no matter what you guys do in any of your classes, you're talking about literature search. What are you talking about? I bet you you have some work, some paper that you've written where you've had to search the literature, where you'd have to cite some articles, where you have to cite some magazines, where you have to do interviews with leading experts in the field. So whatever that is, you need to do it. And you need to be prepared of what, what's potentially out there. So, um, there are a couple of ways you can search the literature in medicine. And one of the ways is PubMed. How many of you guys have heard of PubMed? How many of you guys have used PubMed? How many of you guys feel like you're experts in PubMed? All right. Oh, wow. That's great. Uh, I use PubMed and I don't even feel like I'm an expert. So I, I need to take some lessons from Stacy. Well, there's another search tool called Web of Science. So when you guys are ready, we can have a tutorial on, on this stuff. I usually, my residents who I um, mentor don't even know how, about Web of Science and how to use it appropriately. So if you guys have a burning question after all of this is done and you have time in your spare time, 
I'm trying to get into medical school and do well in classes and hang out with your friends and you guys are really motivated because that's what it's going to take. It's going to take a really extremely motivated person to take a research project from soup to nuts. It's not I have a month and I need to do some research. Nothing's going to happen in one month. Absolutely nothing. Guaranteed. All right. Spreadsheets and citation manager. Why? Because you need to stay organized. What is a spreadsheet? A spreadsheet is a way to stay organized, right? So whatever you guys do, the readings that you do, the citations, the stuff that you download, put it in a spreadsheet. And, and so that way you know what you've read and what are the key components of what you read. Great. Citation manager, we'll go over this at a later date, but it's a fun way and an easy way to kind of keep track of all of the stuff that you've looked up. It stores it in a file. There's programs out there that you can purchase or you can pirate. You didn't hear it from me. Um, so the first step in your research project may be to do a review article. A review article is great because you can summarize everything that's been done in the past. So you can summarize. You may ask, let me ask you guys, what is one Anyone have a yearning or burning question that you guys have thought about, especially the folks who are already in MRAP, who are in your clinical shifts? Anything that kind of pops in your mind? So I can use it as an example. Well, uh, let, I can throw one out there. So, you know, I, when, I, when I was uh, your guys' age, I tore my ACL. And I thought um, there were... I don't know if you guys have heard of like chondroitin sulfate and all that stuff. There's like these supplements that you can take, and some people say that taking these supplements will help improve uh, your ability to move, and it will decrease your swelling and actually improve your cartilage repair and so on and so forth. So that might be an interesting topic. It's a pretty vague topic, but you may want to summarize and look up all the research that's been done and review it and put it into prose, a manuscript, and therefore you kind of you understand some of the dynamics and the questions involved. All right, enough about that. Okay, develop mastery in the area of question. Okay, wonderful. Uh, this is blank. Well, no, there's Yoda there. So, Yoda. Uh, the reason why I put Yoda up here is because he is. A Jedi Master, right? We all know that. He is the Jedi Master. And that reminds me to tell you, you guys all need Jedi Masters too. Because you can't go down this road by yourself. Otherwise, you'll end up on the dark side of the Force. <laughs> That's a guarantee. So you need help. And you need to link yourself up with someone who's somewhat relevant in your field of choice. So whatever you're trying to, whatever question you're trying to answer, you want to find somebody who might have the knowledge and the expertise and the time and the resources to help you. That may not really be that much, but you need somebody you can bounce some ideas off of. And someone to tell you, that's a great idea. Hey, why don't we look at the certain question in this way instead of the other way? Or, you're out in left field, you need to come back. And so, that's what a mentor is all about. Now, you can have a mentor forever. I, I am searching for a mentor right now for one of my research projects. And so that process should never, ever stop. And it's not just for research. 
You know, you have, a men, you have mentors to guide you on how you behave. You're hopefully your folks and your siblings and maybe even your colleagues. You have a mentor on what courses to take. You have a mentor on how to do mountain biking a little bit better. You know, so, so you, you have these mentors, whether they're formal or informal. So remember that. So the mentor has first-hand experience. Uh, you should meet with them regularly. Um, they may have some resources for you, like desk space, lab space, materials, um, programs. Um, but mainly, it's the idea, the exchange of ideas and the time, which is the most important. All right. The other thing you guys should be alert to new ideas and new techniques. What does that mean? That means attend conferences. Go to conferences. You know why? Because that's where all of the hot topics are presented. That's where all of the important people and the minds that are out there in your specific area of interest are talking about stuff. So you guys do that already, which is great. You go to Europe, you do, you're part of Europe, and that is um, great because you get to present all your research, you, you get to uh, hear about what other people are doing, and you may get inspired that way. Or you go to Cal ASAP, which is uh, American College of Emergency Physicians, the California chapter of it, and a lot of these folks in MRAP, for all of you applicants, have actually presented there. And some of the MRAPers have won awards there for the best presentation and for the best research project. So that is a place where you can exchange ideas. And, and you can grab the person who you go, whoa, uh, so I hear you're doing some Cassie work, and, but you're doing it on illicit drug use or prescription drug use. Maybe I could pick your brain about that. And it's kind of hard because it's almost like cold calling someone, right? You're like calling them up. You'd be like, yeah, would you like to buy my knife? You know, it's like a Cutco knife and blah, blah, blah. I don't know if you guys ever remember that growing up because I'm much younger than me. But <laughs> there was this uh, summer, summer thing where a bunch of my friends got together and they were selling knives. It's called Cutco. And they had to go like door to door and they cut ridiculous things. Like they would bring this huge piece of steel and the knife would cut through steel. And the knife, of course, cost 80 bucks. But anyways, it kind of feels like that. You have to be a little bit of a salesman, but you're just, you're just interested in someone's research. Uh, even though they may not know you, you guys, will, most of you are kind of on the shyer side. But it's good to get out there, throw yourselves out there, and uh, say, hey, and, and, and see what's up. Okay. Informal conversations, we just talked about that. Be skeptical, skeptical of prevailing beliefs. Be very skeptical. So, you know, there was um, an old study, and this is just an example of who, that looked at gallbladder disease and stones in the gallbladder, and they said that, um, that uh, almost half of these people with asymptomatic stones, I mean stones in the gallbladder that did not cause symptoms, needed to come out, needed surgery. Well, that, someone looked at that and said, that's ridiculous. I bet you if we looked at autopsy data and looked at all these people who died, looked in the gallbladder, we'd find stones. And then I bet if we took regular people and we did ultrasounds on all these people, they'd have stones. They wouldn't even know they had stones because they would be asymptomatic. And they would never bother them for the rest of their lives or, you know, hardly ever. And so that, that number, someone looked at that and, and, and they didn't believe it. 
right away. This it just, just, just doesn't sound right. It's called a sniff test. It just doesn't sound right, right? Someone says, you know, you drink this little potion and, you know, you'll live another 50 years. You're just like, come on, man. You're trying to pull, pull a fast one on me. So be skeptical. Keep the imagination flowing. This is where you guys really come in. You know, as you guys are sleeping in the audience right now, keep that imagination flowing, that REM is going, teaching others. So if you are an expert in something, if you're interested in something, talk to someone else about it. Teach them, teach some, teach them something in your small group sessions. Put together a lecture, case presentations like we just heard, like Roxy and Zulmi just said. You know, these are, these are the ways you learn about something and you teach other people, and you kind of uh, get that, that fire inside of you, all right? Write down your light bulb moments. So you, might, you guys may be going through life, and you're like, whoa, I just thought about something. What if I did this this way? What, if, what about this? And it's the same way with medicine. It's the same way with clinical research. Sometimes you'll be somewhere, and you'll have, somehow the neurons are all firing at the right time, the moon is aligned with Saturn, you guys are good to go, and something come, pops up in your head. And so write it down, because you'll forget. Just like your dreams, you'll forget. So if you write it down, you can come back to it at another date and say, well, I remember I kind of thought about that. Let me do a little more reading on it or whatnot. Okay. Uh, take notes and stay organized. This is the spreadsheet again. All right. So. This reminds me of observing patients. So you guys are in the emergency department, right? You guys are seeing this every day. I know at least most of you guys have seen this. Tell, tell me what you see right here. I know it's a, it's a little hard to see. But this is a patient's uh, chest and abdomen. Um, can you guys, someone describe this to me? Can you see or no? I'm going to pick on someone if they don't say anything. So there's something here, right? There's something that kind of goes across this area of, oops, sorry, let me go backwards. There's something that goes across over here. Uh, across the chest and the abdomen and then another thing that goes across right here. So it's a seatbelt, right? It's a seatbelt. So, you know, a lot of these folks who come in in motor vehicle collisions, we don't call them accidents because they're preventable, because most collisions are due to something or other. They're due to speeding, they're due to drunk driving, they're due to playing around with your cell phone, they're due to the kid in the back, your child in the back, going, pulling on your twin brother's hair, and then, you know, all that stuff goes nuts. So. They're usually preventable, usually. Most, most collisions are preventable. At any rate, high speeds, there's a restraining device, and now there's a, what we call a seat belt sign. Great. There's a seat belt sign. So here's what I was thinking the other day. I'm like, what is a seat belt sign? Is there a definition that we know of that's established that would define what a seatbelt sign is. I'm like, there's got to be, right? Because everyone says seatbelt sign. It's a seatbelt sign. So I'm like, let's go back and let's look at this definition. 
Turns out it's not that clearly defined. Turns out there isn't, there's one study from 1962 that was published in the Journal of Trauma that describes, loosely describes what a seatbelt sign is. Well, there's your, there's an interesting topic, right? What the heck is a seatbelt sign? What do people think seatbelt signs are? Is there any uniformity in, and um, uh, if you ask 100 people, would they say the same thing? Would they describe these 10 pictures as being seatbelt signs? So kind of an interesting question. So keep your eyes open and watch in the ED for, for, for things like this. All right, the finer points. We have five minutes, all right? The finer point. Feasible. Is your research question feasible? Now, was my research question when I was a medical student feasible? No, it sounds ridiculous now. Absolutely ridiculous. How can you possibly get all the resources in order and get, that, that is a na national project. That is an Obama project. You know, that's not a BC project. All right. Is it interesting? This is the most important part. Is it interesting? The seatbelt sign to me is extremely interesting, but it may not be interesting to everybody. Everyone's like, oh, whatever, it's a seatbelt sign. But it's got to be interesting to you, and it's got to be interesting to a subset of people. Is it novel? Is it novel, right? It hasn't been done before. If it has, what, what's different about your project? Is it ethical? A different question, but if you're ever worried about it being ethical, there's an easy solution. Ask the IRB folks, or talk to someone who, who actually uh, does ethical, uh, who's on the ethical board or committee. Is it relevant? Like, who cares, right? Who cares? Who cares if people put on their left shoe before their right shoe? Like, who really cares? Might be an interesting question, right? It's good bed, you know, like kind of uh, dinner time conversation. Well, everyone puts on their left shoe before they put on their right shoe. Great. Who cares? Right? All right, so feasible, can you do what you're saying you're going to do? So this means the number of subjects that you have. Can you enroll enough subjects? Can you enroll enough subjects? So that's the sample size. We're going over a lot of stuff, but I'm trying to keep it really simple. Who's eligible? Who's excluded or refuses to participate? So you say, all right, I'm going to screen all of these psychiatric patients in the emergency department. We see tons of psychiatric patients. Well, who's eligible? Well, they can't talk to you. Great. So they're really demented or they're just, they're, they're, you know, they're comatose. You already eliminated those folks. Well, they don't speak English uh, or Spanish or Vietnamese. Okay. They speak some other language, Swahili or something. You're in trouble because you're not going to have a translator. You're not going to have materials that are translated. Those people are eliminated. All right. And then you enroll patients, but then they start dropping out like fries, flies, right? Because they'll be like, ah, I'm not doing your research project anymore. I'm sorry. It's boring. It's not worth it. Uh, they leave the wrong address or phone number. Um, there you go. Technical expertise. Are you, do you have the skills to pay the bills? Do you know what you're doing? If you don't, then that goes back to step one. You didn't read enough, you don't have the right mentors, yada, 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 okay? 
feasible continued. Cost in time and money. If the costs are prohibitive, then you can choose a less expensive study design. We'll talk about this later if need be, but really is really what we're talking about is if if you're if you're trying to do a prospective study, you gotta follow these patients up. And that is really difficult to do because it takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of money. And we talked, uh, Samer had, had, was involved with that study where he talked to you guys initially about where they looked, uh, did the CASI screening, they got an audit score, they followed them up, um, I think months, two months and six months later, or a year later, I don't remember the exact time frame, but that's costly. You need to pay someone like Samer. He doesn't come cheap. He may be easy, but he's not cheap. <laughs> All right? So, or you, you might need to get additional, sorry. You're just an easy target. You look, I, I'm only joking. Okay. So, <laughs> you, you may need additional funding, right? So, you may need a grant. Okay, great. Uh, scope, narrow the scope. Don't ask too many questions. You go, well, this project with seatbelt signs, well, what if, I, I want to know what kind of vehicle they're driving. I want to know how fast they're driving. I want to know, you know, this, that. Whoa, slow your roll. Slow your roll. You need to really focus. That's another project. Keep it narrow. Keep it narrow. Laser focus. You need some laser focus. So don't tackle too many research questions. Forego answering all these side questions. Um, keep it interesting. So maybe uh, there, are many, there may be many motivating forces uh, for research, you know, financial, I, I want to go after that grant, logical, well that's the logical next step, career building, but the most important thing is getting to the truth as you've defined it, and it has to be fun, it has to be fun for you. If, you. if you are not having fun doing it, don't do it, because it's not going to get done. You just wasted everybody's time. If it's fun, if it's interesting and, and all that stuff for you, then you're going to put in the effort. Because it, you know that it's, you're like, whoa, that's a kind of interesting question, and you want to take it through. Just because I give you a research project to do, uh, you, you may not really like it. Okay, is it novel? Good research contributes to new information, right? Review the literature. It doesn't actually have to be original, and there's ways around it. So there's something called replication or validation. So if something, uh, if someone says, yeah, gallbladder disease equals X, Y, and Z, then let's replicate it. Let's make sure those study results were valid. All right? So you can translate. So maybe that was done in Norway, right? The population in Norway is much different than the population here in Southern California. So you want to use those, that study design, but you want to see if it's relevant to your population. Or is the same thing with adult trauma, this, the same you know, treatment that we do with, with kids kind of thing. Improving the statistics or design of the study, um, that's another way. Ethical, really you, can't, you cannot use unacceptable physical risks or invasion to privacy. Uh, the IRB committee here is kind of tackling all of that. Uh, if there's any uncertainty, ask the IRB. Is it relevant? Imagine the various outcomes and consider how each possibility might advance scientific knowledge. So is it going to be relevant to scientific knowledge, to clinical management, to health policy, and will it help guide future research? Okay. So solutions to the finer points. Is your topic too broad? Well, narrow the question. <laughs> Easy enough, right? Are there not enough subjects? Well, expanding, expanding the inclusion criteria, adding other sources of subjects, like you do a multi-center 
Um, you know, you ask the folks from WestMed to come in. So that's that's how you kind of do stuff like that. You lengthen the time frame. You, instead of doing it for a month, you do it for three months. All right. More solutions. Not enough skills. Collaboration. Go back to your mentor. Learn the skills. Too expensive. Use a different study design. So the prospective. Think about retrospective study design. More solutions. It's not interesting. It's not novel. It's not relevant. Hang up the shoes. But really, you should go back to your mentor because obviously there's a disconnect. Uncertain ethically, that's the IRB. Your study is vague. Write your research question at an early stage and really, really, really get specific. You cannot be more specific. You can really need to hone your research. So in summary, for all of you guys who slept through all of this, this is probably the take-home point. Start with a research question. You have a question. Keep it in mind. Scholarship. Read. Read, read, read. Mentor. Link up with somebody that you think is going to help you and that does similar research. Remember Finer. What does Finer stand, stand for? Feasibility. Feasibility. The I? Interesting. The N? The E? And the R? Man, you guys weren't sleeping. All right. And uh, remember, a single research question. All right. That's about it. And this is uh, adopted. I, I didn't make all of this up, OK? So I adopted this from a book. Um, there's a handbook called uh, Designing Clinical Research, if you guys are all interested. Um, I don't know how much it is, like 30 bucks or something like that. But um, anyways, that's about it. Any questions for you guys? I know I kept you a couple minutes late, but uh, this was uh, brought to you by your friendly neighborhood cords. So whether you liked it or not, um, if it was castor oil, you can talk to them. <laughs> if it was tiramisu, you can talk to me. <laughs>